Hey, hey, welcome to episode number 43 of the Brave Widow Show. Today, I had the opportunity to speak with Rick, and Rick has really some great insights and tips for widows specifically when it comes to financial planning. So let me introduce you to him. Rick Salmoron is a financial advisor with clients throughout America. Based in Dallas, Texas, he's a certified financial planner and CEO of Salmoron Financial. He entered the business in 1990, then branched out to begin his own firm in 2001. His guidance and experience helps clients spend less time worrying about their money so that they can enjoy other areas of their life. Welcome to the Brave Widow Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Jones. We help young widows heal their heart, find hope, and dream again for the future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Brave Widow Show. I'm here with Rick Salmoron, and hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, we Perfect. We have discovered, if you're not watching this uh, online, you're not watching the video, we're actually wearing, I think, the exact same shade of shirt. So we have royal blue on the mind today. We already have that in common, but I'm really glad to have him on the show and hear from his wisdom and insights what he has to share for widows. So Rick, thank you so much for coming on the show today and being willing to share that. Thanks comes from me to allow me to be here on the show today. Emily. Absolutely. So if you don't mind, if you would share a bit about you and your background and what you do and where you do that, I'm sure people would love to know just a little bit more about you. You're a certified financial planner in Dallas, Texas. I help people grow their wealth so that they can grow their life, to put it in a sentence. Many people ask me, well, how, how did you get in the business? Where did it all begin? How long ago? And I always come back to my story of when I was eight years old. This is when I started in the business, looking back. It was on a Saturday in Oklahoma City. I was at the breakfast table as a young boy, and my mother came up to me. She placed her right hand on my shoulder, and she said, Rick, today's going to be a pretty special day for you. Because today we are going to go to a place called a savings loan and we are going to open an account for you there. And I looked at her kind of perplexed. I didn't really know what that meant. So I said, well, mom, what does that mean? And she said, son, see, if they let you keep your money, they will pay you money for keeping your money there. And that was a little enlightening, although I still didn't really understand what all that meant. However, whatever was good for mom was good enough for me. So I dropped my spoon in my Lucky Charms. We went into the car. We scooted off to the savings. Zone. I emptied my pockets full of change. This was weeks worth of allowance on the counter. $10 worth of coins. My mother, in her generosity, matched that with dollars. And lo and behold, my first savings account was open with 20 bucks. It wasn't Emily until 90s later. I read my first statement in the mail from this institution. And that $20 grew to $20.15. That was a light bulb moment. For me that I still remember this day today, 50 years later, I'm 58 years old. And I still remember the Saturday morning, how beautiful the day was and 
how amazing this statement came in the mail. And sure enough, I didn't have to do anything. And so something happened. And I noticed that my habits began to change. Throughout my life, I bought my first house at age 22. I invested in my first stock at age 18. I, my first corporate job, I maxed out on the company 401k without thinking in second thought and figured out how to live on what was left over. It was this natural inheritance behavior that grew and I've provided for myself in a very robust and healthy way. And it occurred to me when I left corporate America, what can I do to do something more entrepreneurial and something more meaningful and more fulfilling? And this was it. I decided to, in 1990, open my, my be in this business, contribute to the marketplace, share let's call it the secrets. And they're really not secret. They're just out there. However, the secrets so that people can learn to grow their wealth so that they can grow their life and become stronger, better providers and a better person as a result. So that's my long story of how I got into this business. And I just, I adore and I love what I do. And it's, like I said, a pleasure to be here to share what could be some interesting tips and pointers for widows that are listening to this, because I'm always happy to help anyone's situation. That's, I mean, first of all, it's incredible that your mother taught you that at such a young age and that you didn't feel like you needed to go spend that $10, that you didn't feel cheated out of putting it in the bank, because especially when we're young, I mean even for me for a long time, as I grew up, you think, well, I have money, I need to spend it. Investing is something you do when you're ready to retire, when you're old. That's not something that you do when you're younger, but you were able to see that, believe in it, and continue some of those patterns. And it's evident, I think, that you're passionate about what you do and about and helping other people. And so I think that's awesome. And I would encourage anyone who's listening, who's got small children, start now, start now to teach these types of values, savings values at a young, early age. If you have children, do that with them, as small as it might be, it will create a lasting effect that will live with them for the rest of their life. I guess that's a good question. Widows, a lot of times women in the household, I don't know if you see the same thing, they kind of navigate maybe the day-to-day bill paying. They're not necessarily the financial planners of the home or they're not thinking necessarily about the bigger picture of those things. So all of a sudden they're kind of thrust into that position where they're unfamiliar. So there's a lot of things that they could learn. But to segue off of that, where do you start? Do you have a ratio? If my child receives X amount, here's what they should save and how they should do that and how I teach them? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, that depends on every situation. However, if a person is receiving inheritance or find themselves in a different financial situation, you start with what you can afford. You start with new great habits right now. This life event has occurred and now you're in a situation that you didn't feel like that you would ever be in. Now you're behind the wheel. You're now having to read and operate from the owner's manual where your previous spouse was the one who handled that. And that can be a very challenging and a very anxiety-filled situation. It's It feels uncomfortable. It feels unnerving. It feels, you feel lost. I'm sure that many people feel lost in, in those shoes. However, I would ask that take this as a moment of opportunity to create new growth change with your life. Yes, you're now receiving this owner's manual that you may not know how to read. What's your first step? Your first step is to sit down, take a breath, and remember 
you are very capable of handling this. You are very capable of handling this. All of us were born as a young baby. When we came out of mom's womb, we have the inherent qualities that anyone can do to accomplish anything that I'm going to go down a small personal growth avenue here. However, it's the truth. We all have skills. We all have characteristics that we have. We can develop and we can strengthen. And many of those can be related to your money and your finances and being disciplined and being diligent and being wise and being smart. So when you're dealing with a special asset like money, arguably the most special asset that we have, we want to make sure that we're making the right decisions for our situation and our family so that tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, 10 years from now, 20 years from now is going to look stronger and brighter. Now, it's very hard to do that on your own. So that's when you start to, to learn and seek out education, we're surrounded by free information from who knows countless channels, including this amazing podcast, right? So we want to pick up on those nuggets that resonate with us and then run them by if we are unsure, if we have some doubts, run them by other trusted sources that could be friends, that could be other financial professionals. If you're working with a financial professional, see if this works, see if this makes sense. Ask other people who are in a similar situation. So I encourage people to surround themselves with a group, with people that have either been in the shoes before or have gone down the path because they've got the faster answer to help lubricate what feels like this very congested and complicated realm that you've never experienced before. You've got the ability to figure out how to work this out. And there's a lot of people around you that are waiting to support you. So keep your open mind and your open ears and your open heart and soak that in as much as you possibly can. Yeah, I think you bring up a really great point point and something we've talked about a few times, which is having almost your own board of advisors that surround you and people that are not only maybe experts in their industry and what they do, but they have a similar philosophy or values that you have and that you find people that would have your best interests at heart. What advice would you give people? Let's say they're looking for a financial planner. They're looking for, they've lost their spouse. They've lost that person to bounce ideas off of. And so they want to work with a professional, but they don't really know, how do I know this is a good one for me? Like, what what do I look for? What would you tell people? That's a very good question because there are thousands of advisors out there and you want to be careful and you want to be measured on who you elect to decide to work with. You can look for the certification. For example, I'm a certified financial planner and that that is a level of accreditation that's special. So I would go with that step first is find CFPs. That doesn't guarantee that you're going to get the gold standard. However, there's many gold standard CFPs out there. I am one of them. However, at the same time, you it's very important too to see who you jive with, who you have chemistry with. How do you how does this person come across to you? What kind of brand feeling are you getting from the social media posts or the website? So it's a territory that you want to take measured steps and soak in and identify inside yourself, how does this person feel to me? Because when you're working with a financial professional, a financial advisor, in my view, it should not be a transactional related 
relationship. It should be a long-term, soothing, at-ease feeling type of relationship. Someone that you not only don't mind spending time with, you actually look forward to spending time with. That's the kind of professional relationship that you want to establish with a financial advisor. It's like dating. It's like dating. It may not take years and you may not want to take years to find that person. However, it's not something that you just simply dive into or throw a dart on the wall and and select this person. You want to get a good feel for their value. I love that word that you mentioned. It is a value connection. Do my values match with this person's values? Because if so, then I know what's coming out of their mouth, of their mind, messaging, their heart and soul is good. And it's good for me. And it will be good for me long term. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, I would encourage people to look for someone who will help educate you, not someone that says, turn everything over to me, I'll take care of it. But here are some options. Here's maybe what I would do in your situation, Mm -hmm. pros and cons that can boost somebody's confidence in feeling like they're making the right decision and that that person understands what their priorities are at their point and mm-hmm. at that point in their life. So yeah, I agree. And ask around, ask around your other friends and your colleagues, who are you using? Because the people that you hang out with now, odds are they also reflect the same values as you. And based on their experience, maybe they're one with someone that also could be part of the tribe or the board of directors, as you well put it. Yeah, I think the communication is also very vital. You want to make sure that there's a wide open two way streets, because in the end, it it should be about you, not about the advisor. It should be about you. And it also helps if your advisor wears a blue shirt. (laughs) Yes. An amazing royal blue shirt. I had to throw that in. So one of the questions that I hear often from people is maybe they have life insurance money and they can use that to pay off the house or some of their major bills and they're not really sure. Do I use it for that? Do I keep it in savings? And I know everybody's situation is a little bit different, but is there anything that you would tell people, even things that they should consider as they're trying to figure those things out? Well, if a person suddenly receives life insurance proceeds, the first thing to do, in my view, is put it in the bank and hang tight. Do not make any sudden impulse decisions, right? That's usually not the right way to go, but at least put it somewhere where you know you can access to it as you measure up and as you size up. Okay, so yeah, it depends with everyone's situation. However, in general, let's talk about debts, for example. Should should I pay off my house? It's There's a very good feeling about being mortgage-free. I understand that having everything in the house paid for, I don't need to worry about the mortgage payment any longer. That feels good. At the same time, I would caution people not to just jump into something like that because you're talking about taking money in a very liquid state that I can get to tomorrow and putting it into something that I can't get to, or at least it's very hard to. And life, if anyone, the population of widows and widowers understand that life throws curveballs. We many times need to have a very healthy plentiful emergency fund, a life happens fund, I like to call it, that's ready to go in case some other curveball comes our way. So as far as the comfort and feeling of, for example, paying off a house, I understand that feeling. However, at the same time, I also understand the feeling of being cash poor. 
And you don't want to be cash poor, frankly, ever, because it's the money in the bank that provides freedom, it provides liberty, it provides choices, it provides options. So that's one general. Now, I'm not saying that it's not wise to pay off any debts. There could be some debts that make a whole heck of a lot of sense to pay off right away, and that would be consumer debt, high interest credit card debt. That Those can be poisonous and do nothing other than just reverse your net worth in a backwards direction. We don't want that to happen. There could be, should I allocate some money towards my kid's college? fund. If, does that make sense? And what's the best way or ways to be doing that? So, and there's my own personal retirement. I want to be able to retire one day and I'm, perhaps I wasn't the breadwinner. And now I find myself in a position where I need to start working or find a job or whatever the case may is. So when we receive, say, a lump sum from life insurance, that's great. However, we want to be very careful. We want to be very particular. We want to be very cautious and wise on how best to allocate those monies. So it does require sitting down and just assessing where you're at, where would you like to be? If you're working with an advisor who's got great experience, odds are they will be able to show spotlight areas of your life that they can foresee because of their experience with other widows that you may not. And that can be very helpful, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great point. And again, having that trusted financial planner, financial advisor that can help you see things that you're not thinking of, think through things. Women are typically more emotional creatures and we want to feel safe and financially secure. And you're right, paying off the house, paying off the credit card debt, like that feels really good. But we can't be short-sighted either in knowing that I kind of went the opposite way. I wanted as much money and savings as possible because even though I was the breadwinner, I just just felt like, I don't know, like what else is going to happen? Oh, I want to yeah. have something there. So there's a lot of emotion that comes dealing mm -hmm. with money and where it should sit. So what are some other things that you see specifically with widows or things that they should think about that come to mind for you? One that comes to mind is what's called something called the widow's tax or the widow's penalty. Well, what am I, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm talking about our federal marginal income tax brackets. We have a married couple who files a joint tax and we have a single individual who files a single tax return, for example. Well, these two marginal tax schedules that I've got posing as my two hands here on the screen, one has a particular tax rate associated with it and the other has its own. When a married couple files a joint tax return and they're making, for example, $150,000 a year combined, they find themselves in a 22% federal tax bracket. Now, if there's only one spouse now, there's now I'm single, I lost my spouse and now I'm single. If I'm making the same money, I find myself in the single tax bracket at a higher rate. I'm making the same money. However, I'm paying more tax on that. Why is that? That's because of the marginal tax schedules that we live with the government. In fact, even if in my hypothetical example, even if I'm making $100,000, something less, one third less as a single person, I still find myself in a higher tax bracket. So as odd as it is, and I'm shaking my head along with you, 
that's the way the system works. So widows need to be cognizant of that, which means that it's important to do some amount of tax planning to do your best to keep your taxes at a minimum because you might find yourself in a higher tax bracket, whether you realize it or not. That's one area of the widow's tax. And then there's another area of a widow's tax that has to do with Medicare premiums. It's not the taxes that we write with our tax return. Instead, it has to do with Medicare for people who are on Medicare. And this will be for age 65 and older. There is an additional tax that people pay on Medicare premiums at that age at a much lower income rate, lower income level as a single person versus a married. However, that's another one for another topic for another day. But in short, the joint return and the single return are different, significantly different, and can make a difference in a widow's life sooner than later. Now, there is some good news about this is that you can still, as a newly widow, for example, you can still file your income tax return as a joint tax return for the next two years following the year of your spouse's death. So it's kind of a temporary, this is my story, I'm making this up. This is the IRS's way of saying, hey, we know we're getting ready to give you a harder time with your taxes, but we're going to give you two more years to ease into it. That's my story. Yeah, that's probably very generous that they give people two years. But, you know, it's a great point, something that people don't know. I mean, when you're a newly widow, you're just trying to survive. Like the last thing you're thinking about is, well, wait a minute, I'm making less. Let's say we're both working. Now I'm making less, but I'm paying more in taxes or percentage-wise, at least, I'm paying more. How does that make sense? I have all these kids and things to Uh, think about, but you're right. uh, I think people need to be aware of it and be able to uh, prepare. Yeah, agreed, agreed. There's something else that widows may not be as aware of that I'd like to bring up too, and that has to do with the house, the potential sale of the house. Now, not everyone who loses a spouse wants to sell their home, and I don't encourage this whatsoever. I mentioned to you off air, my, my mother, she became a widow this year. I'm working with another person who also became a widow earlier this year as well, and they completely intend to stay in the home, and that's perfectly fine. However, there is a, a tax break for people who file a joint tax return versus a single tax return that can be financially significant. And that deals with the primary residence, specifically when you own a home and that home has grown in value, which is not a hard thing to do in this day and age, right? When you sell that home and you sell it for gain, that gain up to $500,000 worth of gain is completely tax-free if you're filing a joint tax return. If you file a single tax return, that that tax-free gain is in half at $250,000. Now, why do I bring this up? It's because, as I mentioned earlier, when you become a widow, you have the ability to continue to file your tax return as a joint filer for two years after the year that your spouse passed away, which means if you're considering selling your house or you really feel like I want to sell my house now, there is this 
$500,000 worth of taxable tax-free gain that you can still take advantage of in the next two years because you can still file as a joint filer. I hope I'm making sense there. Yeah. But. Yeah. That's great. That's something I wasn't even aware of was a possibility. And I think general wisdom, people try to say not to make big decisions in the first one to two years, but I yeah. think for the most part, people tend to know whether or not they're going to stay maybe within that first year time frame. And it's good to know that you have those additional two years to consider that, make that decision and take advantage of it. If it's something that you know you want to do someday, you're just not sure you haven't made it a priority, I guess that would yeah. be so. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. It is not the it is not the decision maker. However, it might be the reason that you make that decision a little bit then later. Right. Yeah. But again, yeah. talk to your advisor before you make any moves like that, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, what else can you think of or comes to mind as you've worked with your mother, which I'm very sorry for your loss there, by the way. Thank you. You like blue shirts also. Really? Well, we're honoring your dad today. That's right. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. And the other person that you're working with, what have you seen as they're newly widowed and they're trying to figure out finances and I'm sure they have fears and... those sort of things, what are some common things that you're seeing? Well, this, I may sound like a broken record, or these may be things that I will share that many of your listeners have already heard, yet this just underscores and resonates with them more so, I believe. And that is my mother and this other client, they now every day is far more precious than it ever was before, right? And what I'm about to share with little to do with actual money and a lot to do with life, that we never know what's going to happen, that we want to be, we don't want to jump in and and dive in head first and start spending like like crazy. That's that that's not wise at the same time. Their attitude towards experience and life experiences and sharing those experiences with their family, with their friends, with their children has never been higher before. That they want to be, yes, using the money and now what they would call a new definition of wisdom. Whereas before it was, I want to hoard and save and be more conservative than not. And now it's, let me turn up the notches a little bit. I could be next year. I could be next week. And I want to be able to spend time with my family and my children. Yes, 20 years from now and 25 years and beyond. However, what if I'm not there? So this is, that's certainly a message that I'm hearing from them today. And that hits me right here too. With my experience with working with other clients who have had lost loved ones and and lost, lost spouses, that's to me, that's that sideline reminder of, hey, this can happen to anyone, right? That's just something that we all know. But here we're listening to it now as another reminder. And then a second thing I would say that my client and my mother have really ramped up, and that's getting themselves more organized than ever before and teaching their children how to do that for themselves also. Getting the ducks in the order, getting the I's dotted, the T's crossed, the gosh, I, I didn't get that will updated. Now I'm going to do that. Or I didn't get that beneficiary designation just right. I'm going to do a better job at that moving forward. Or setting things up for themselves now so that they realize the transition for when they are gone will be far smoother, far cleaner, far easier for subsequent generations. So they're learning from their experience now to help 
make their situation be even better for their kids and their grandkids. Yeah, I love that. And it's a little shocking to me. We all experience grief and loss at some point and in some way. And someone made a comment to me, everyone that you know, there's a 50% chance that one of you is going to go before the other. So yeah. which is a little wow. mind boggling. But as we think about that, just how poorly educated we are about organizing our life, about a will versus a trust, about financial planning, about priorities and what really matters at the end of the day. You're absolutely mm -hmm. right. I used to get hung up on just the most, like how the house looked and what furniture was where and things that now I really don't even care. I don't even care. <laughs> to your point, it's all about the experiences and the relationships and the memories because at the end of the day, that's what you have left mm -hmm. when that person is gone. And as widows, we can be very deep. We know we need life insurance. We know we should be investing. We know we should have a will or a trust. We just don't do it. It's like we yeah. still, we should know some of the, be among the best people who know and realize the mortality of life. And yet we can also be the guiltiest at thinking it's not going to happen to me. Okay. It happened yeah. to my spouse, but you know, not me. Yeah. I think it's great that they're to educate and make sure that things are organized for others and that other people know that they should do the same. There's, as I say, silver linings with every cloud. There's good news in every life event, whatever that may be. It may be the most challenging, the most sorrowful, the most shocking moment. However, maybe not right away. You may not be able to see it right there and then. I completely get that. However, there is good news. There is greatness in that episode somewhere, and it will reveal itself sooner than later. And that's what we can do. We can choose to, we, because we can't change the events. However, we can use the event itself as a way to make ourselves, our family, and, and for that matter, our world, a better place. That's what my, that's what my dad would want. That's what my client's deceased spouse would want. That's what they would want. And that's what I want for your listeners. I love that. And I tell people, that. sometimes just bad people, things happen, period. We have a choice in how we respond and what we do from that, where we can create something good out of it. We can share our story. We can help. Or we can choose just to remain focused on ourselves. Well, Rick, anything else that you'd like to share with the audience? And if you can just remind people where they can find you, if they want to work with you or they have questions and want to learn more, I think that would be great. It may feel very challenging, impossible, insurmountable handling the money now where you didn't before. Yet I would say that the word impossible is only an option. You are, you are capable. You are able. You are you have everything you need. You have every quality that you need to not only not only handle the situation, however, you can thrive in the situation. I have complete confidence in that. And if there's anything that your listeners can take home with them today, that's what I want to share with them. I love that. So many times I hear people say, I'm tired of people saying I'm strong and I didn't have a choice. And yes, you do. You have a choice to get up every day, to not hide under the covers, to figure 
these things out. And I loved what you said. Impossible. Say it again. Impossible is. Impossible is only an option. Is only an option. I love that. Well said. All right. Well, Rick, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or they want to talk to you about maybe working with you in the future? Feel free to feel free to go to my website, which is all one word. And you can find me on Instagram. Just look for my name, Rick Salmeron. LinkedIn, the same thing. I'm happy to chat with anyone and give any type of initial tips or help that I possibly can. All my initial consultations are on the house. Awesome. And for those of you that are driving or mowing the lawn or whatever it is you're doing, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. So you'll be able to find those there. Well, Rick, thank you so much for coming again on the show today and sharing experiences, especially one that's so personal and close to you, but helping to give back to this community and give some really good things for widows to think about. I love spending time with you. Same here. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Brave Widow podcast. I would love to help you take your next step, whether that's healing your heart, finding hope, or achieving your dreams for the future. Do you need a safe space to connect with other like-minded widows? Do you wish you had how-tos for getting through the next steps in your journey, organizing your life, or moving through grief? What about live calls where you get answers to your burning questions? The Brave Widow membership community is just what you need. Inside, you'll find courses to help guide you, a community of other widows to connect with, live coaching and Q&A calls, and small group coaching where you can work on what matters most to you. Learn how to heal your heart, find hope, reclaim joy, and dream again for the future. It is possible. Head on over to bravewidow.com to learn more.